How do the Trailblazers defeat the Nuggets? Will Portland threaten Golden State in the conference finals? Who is better, Damian Lillard or Kyrie Irving? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live show slash podcast slash extravaganza post-game seven. We have the first game seven today on Mother's Day. First of all, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there that might be watching or are mothers of people who are watching. Hope you had a great day so far. I know my wife, the mother and my family did so far, and uh, and now is letting me sneak away to do a quick live show. So thank you guys all for being here. I think we have a pretty robust crowd as it is already. A quick check of everything, and we can see, uh, yeah, a lot of people on YouTube. Looking forward to getting some of the questions here because, man, what a Game 7 uh, versus the, uh, between the Blazers and the Nuggets. You know, I don't think we can use this notion of home uh, court advantage any longer. I need to check the stats, but I know that there's enough Game 7 wins by the road team in the last, you know, eight or eight years or so to certainly shift my thinking that we can't necessarily, you know, think, oh, it's a 95% certainty that the, uh, the home team is going to win. Uh, a lot of amazing stuff. If you don't know uh, C.J. McCollum, if you didn't know him by uh, this series, I hope you know him now because he was uh, by far the best player on the floor all day long. And, of course, there's a lot of the fireworks with his offensive stuff, and he's got an arsenal that's out of this world. And full disclosure, he is a friend of the breakdown. He's been on the show several times, and um, just uh, really exciting to see him get, get a chance to really show what he can do on the national stage uh, of, a, of a conference finals. So, um, but that block that he made on a, uh, on that sprint down by Jamal Murray was, you know, obviously LeBron was in game seven of the finals and it saved the game at the end, but this was, you know, in that ballpark, but we got to give kudos to uh, Seth Curry because he was the one who sprinted down even faster to kind of swipe at the ball on the way down and sort of force Murray to do an off-foot lefty layup that he hesitated to look back before he shot it. And um, I look at the replay. Did anybody else see? They didn't have a great angle, but I'm wondering if the ball might have hit the backboard uh, a fraction of a second early. Nobody seems to complain, so maybe I'm completely crazy. But either way, CJ timed it perfectly and got there and just swatted that ball away. It was really, Every bucket was important for both teams and to turn that away. Uh, they definitely could have set up, though, and gotten something better. They threw up a left corner three that airballed, and then the Portland Trailblazers got the ball back. Um, a couple other quick ideas here. By the way, Max Johnson caught my eye. CJ McClutchum. Um, that's pretty good. I'll go with that. Um, Jason Chan, I'm in as well. He's asking me and everyone else if we're in. I'm looking at the comments right now on YouTube. Um, so uh, Ennis Cantor, I want to give him credit too because he made a lot of defensive plays today. He doesn't always put his hand up. He doesn't always close the gap enough when the guy goes up for the shot. Uh, but first of all, he, he just grabs the boards. Okay, he is just a vacuum and grabs them all. Now, I want to just look at real quickly. Uh, Ennis Cantor ultimately had 13 rebounds and he had five offensive and eight defensive. And I would say half of those defensive rebounds were like really good in traffic, strong ones they needed to have. And he comes down here and he's nearby and he just grabs those boards. But he also made some other defensive plays down there as well that were really like uh, out of the ordinary for him. Uh, and then Ennis, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Evan Turner is a guy who I've sort of vilified or, or sort of just been really frustrated watching him play for the last several years, probably since he got to Portland. And they've been 
chopping down, chopping down his minutes and reducing his role, reducing his role till now. He's about a guy who plays about 12 minutes and they just hope he doesn't do too much to hurt them. But tonight he, he played 19 minutes and I think he played uh, almost the whole fourth quarter. Um, and he went three for seven, which is not bad considering he really doesn't shoot from outside of about 12 feet at all. Uh, but he went eight for nine from the line. And I'm going to check his uh, – I don't think his free throw percentage was very good over the, uh, over the regular season. If I click here and open a new tab, I'm kind of curious. Uh, Evan Turner from the line in the regular season shot uh, uh, 50 – oh, in the playoffs, he was 50%. And in the regular season this year, he was 71%. So he, he went above and beyond to hit some clutch free throws down the stretch. Um, and especially in a game where Damian Lillard uh, never came through. We were kind of waiting – at one point, though, he got a steal of a Jokic outlet pass, flew out to the left wing after kicking it out from the, in the air from, to CJ and then getting it right back. Now, remember, I've talked about this all the time. If you want to get an open three, the best way to do it, almost one of the best ways to do it, is to drive the hole, kick it out, and then sprint right to the closest corner. And he boom, that's what happened. Jokic got out there, but not in time, and CJ just nailed a clutch three. So even though we didn't shoot well, uh, he came through with some serious plays. But it was all C.J. McCollum when they needed him down the stretch. And the fact they didn't even run a play, they just let him ISO. No, not even a pick and roll for him. Uh, and he got a, a, a free throw line jumper. They just cold nailed. It was just a you know, really incredible game. So let's quickly turn. Now, we're also going to be waiting for Jared to step in here. Jared Weiss will be here, I hope, when he gets on the road and starts driving. So you don't have to hear me speaking the whole time. Although, what do you think? You like a one-man show? I don't always do these. And I haven't done one of these in a long time. Some of the faithful out there will probably remember uh, me doing these a little bit. But uh, let me know what you guys think. Cringy AF is, uh, I think we need, I want to tell him that the Blazers definitely won. We already know what time it is, Bjarne. Um, let's see here. I guess it's interesting. I, I wonder why people are, maybe people that weren't watching the game. So we, uh, the Blazers won. I'm getting a lot of uh, questions there in the, in the, in the chat. Uh, let's see if I can grab one here. Uh, another, a great day for Jennifer. You know, I'm sure, I think that means that CJ, CJ did his best for Jennifer. He's trying and he did his best. Um, Let's see here. Whoa, okay. Jigglopuff is out there moderating the comments. Thank you because uh, it looks like he's had his work cut out for him already. Uh, let's just grab some stuff that I see here and we'll see what happens. Uh, there's always the uh, super chat as well if you want to really catch my attention. Matthew Billington asks, do we think it's possible to win a championship with mostly an all-star backcourt but with no superstar big slash wing? Now that's a great question. Probably the best question we've had in a couple of these live shows uh, and they've all been really good. Um, is it possible? Well, okay. In the current context that we have of, uh, by the way, I don't think that we've seen, you know, we used to think that playoff basketball slow, grinded out. And I don't think we're seeing that as much. Certainly the Bucks were running more in the playoffs than they had before. And I have a feeling we'll see that it hasn't gone down like in years past. So now you're talking about a faster game up and down. We're talking about three point centric with the guards getting to dominate the offense and, and generate shots off the dribble. So, um, yeah, I mean, listen, we saw AI get to the finals, right, in a similar manner. Um, and I think that we can kind of, you know, extrapolate that. Now, you look at, like, the, uh, the Blazers, for instance. They, they have two star players that are, you know, kind of on that AI plane to some degree. Certainly, Dame has gotten that recognition. I hope CJ will. Um, and CJ defensively, by the way, in this series has been impressive to me as well. He's made some serious plays. So I think that we have the best matchup in the backcourt, at least for the between the Blazers and the Warriors, without question. Then that's going to be exciting. I don't, I just don't think that Jamal Murray and Gary Harris are quite ready. Now I really like Gary Harris, and he's solid. He is basically a Clay Thompson clone to me. 
um, on both sides of the ball. Now, I think that Jamal Murray will get there, but we saw even like in this game, for instance, let's go through his stats real quick because he was 4 for 18, 0 for 4 from 3, uh, made all nine of his free throws, got five assists, six boards, uh, and only one turnover. But you could just see he was sort of um, just not making the best decisions, not setting everybody up, and he kind of just sort of, I thought, got disconnected from the game in that stretch, in that five-minute stretch before the, in the fourth quarter. So that's the kind of moments they need him, and I just don't think he was ready yet. I compared him to Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back, and that by next year, this whole experience should build him up to a, where he'll be like Return of the Jedi. And uh, I think he's on his way, but he wasn't ready. And I think that that borne out after game three, I'd said that. And I think that was the case. I was hoping to see a little bit more from him in this game. But uh, I think that we've seen what we're seeing. He's so young. He just needs more seasoning. As a result, we got a much better backcourt uh, going on here between uh, Steph and Clay and CJ and, um, and Dame. Uh, it, I think it's probably the best backcourt they've ever faced in this run. Uh, see, anyone can remind me if there's anybody better. I'll scroll down and see. Anybody, have they faced anybody better than this? That Damon and CJ have to be the toughest backcourt they've had. Oh, Harden and Paul. <laughs> Whoops. Um, I don't know, man. Harden and Paul and CJ and Dame. That's going to be really interesting. I think for this year, uh, I think Portland might have more to bring. I don't know. You're right. Harden is a tough one. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Paul, though, you know, overall pound for pound, that's a really close one, but good point. Uh, over over on the Periscope, I think I see a good question here from Random Dude 501 Do you think what Portland did in the season against Golden State, doubling KD, leaving Draymond open, will work? Uh, I, I don't think that we saw enough leaving Draymond alone and even Iggy alone. I know they got, they got burned by letting Iguodala get those five threes he made in game six. Um, but once he makes the fifth one and there's still a quarter left or whatever that was or half a quarter left, you know, it seems like there's more chance he's going to miss at that point. Um, so without question, that's what they're going to do and they need to do. They need to somehow figure out how to get Draymond to shoot more shots than he's been taking. And if they can do that then they'll, and they get hot, then they've got something. But I'd also not recommend waiting to get hot. Sometimes you've got to force the action a little bit to make things happen. And it's precisely why you should use ZipRecruiter for all your hiring needs. Instead of sifting through multiple job sites and stacks of resumes, go to the one place where hiring is simple fast and smart, especially if you're a growing business that needs to connect to qualified candidates. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-R-E-A-K-D-O-W-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Oh, and I think we have Jared uh, ready to join. I've never actually done this uh, live all right, we're ready. Uh, welcome, Jared, to the show. He's driving. I really hope that you're not having to hold it. It looks like you're not, so that's good. Uh, you can at least uh, pay attention to the road. But uh, how are you doing today, Jared? Uh, answer great. Okay. Well, hopefully. Fun. That... I got to watch that. It was uh, that's pretty exciting. 
Yes, it was. Well, you've, I don't know if you heard what we were talking about, but certainly I hope that your internet is stable enough to, to stay with us. So let's get into it. I had some good questions. So did we answer that? Uh, they were talking about, uh, we kind of talked about that with random dude's question. Uh, should Collins be playing over Cantor in the Western Conference Final? It's Rye Volk. Okay, Jared, we got to talk about the, um, the, 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 the Collins uh, issue. I, why don't I want to say John Collins? Wow. The, um, hello. Zach Collins. Zach Collins. I, who, I, I've been talking about him all the last weekend, but anyway, Zach Collins. Uh, do you think – now, here's the question is, do you think he should start? And the other question is, who do you think he should start for if you want to think he starts? I would start him for Cantor um, and because I don't – we're assuming Kevin Durant's not going to play in this series, or at least for the matchup discussion, right? Um, you know, maybe he comes back, but we're assuming at least for – this initial discussion, no, can't, no, KD. So I don't know if they start small, but something each other. So I guess that's how I would go. But if if um, Golden State is starting small, I would rather just have Collins out there and play him as many minutes as possible, and have Cantor be the bench rotating big. Okay. Not easy to understand you on that one. Uh, hopefully your internet gets stabilized a little bit more, or else you might have to pull the plug on it. But that last 10 seconds was pretty good. So, okay, we got that for you. You actually might uh, agree that uh, you could start him over Canner. I kind of think you don't want to start him over Canner. Well, I guess that's the question of what Kerr is going to do, because I don't see why you couldn't have him start, like, for Harkless. Uh, but I guess it depends on what Kerr wants to do. If Kerr wants to start uh, Bogut and Draymond, then I don't see why you couldn't do Cantor and uh, Collins. Uh, I think that the Harkless thing uh, was really frustrating, even though he kind of convinced me that he was um, he was playoff caliber and, and playing much better than I thought he had in the past. Uh, I don't know. And by the way, he was playing Murray a lot, and that was definitely something off for him uh, and not something he wasn't used to. Uh, so that's the only issue. But I, I kind of feel like you could try Cantor and uh, Collins together. Yeah, you know, I said Looney. I should have said Bogut. I know Bogut's going to be the one starting. Um, but is, I feel like... I feel like Harkless is a better matchup against Draymond, I assume, would be the person getting picked up there than, um, than Collins is. I mean, Collins should match up pretty fine, but I mean, I'm, I'm a big Harkless guy. So, I mean, Harkless, I know offensively, is going to give you diminishing returns a lot of the time, probably especially compared to Collins. But he's just he has that defensive savvy and experience that I think you're going to want out there against especially uh, Golden State, but especially if he's going to be the one trying to get a read on what Draymond is doing the whole time. Right. I, I, fair enough. Now, the other question is, we, I saw a question that somebody asked uh, on Periscope, where did it go? Did Stotts make any mid-game adjustments? Uh, that was uh, Gabby Balzon. Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, the big one was they actually started Collins in the second half, and uh, that was important. And I, I think, you know, he's playing so well, but then again, he's playing well off the bench. I, I, but I, you have to look at that. If, if it goes sour in the first couple of games, that would be the first adjustment Sats is going to make as far as starting lineups or whatever is to get him more time, I would imagine. Um, so when the Nuggets attacked Canner's hurt shoulder in the first half, they got buckets, is what Westbrook's MCL said. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Nuggets attack, they kind of wilted in the third quarter. Um, what do you think was a key there that let the Blazers get right back in that game and close it over the course of, you know, it took about five or seven minutes to get to a one-point game. What do you think was the key there, Jared? Oh, one of the things was another adjustment they had to make that was out of necessity was Evan Turner replacing Rodney Hood because Hood hyperextended his knee. And I thought Turner played great. He 
He pushed the pace really well. He was very savvy with the ball. He was able to get dribble penetration, and that's something they obviously have trouble with, and he's the one guy besides McCollum and Lillard that can do it reliably for them with Hood gone. And I thought I thought Turner, beyond just you know hitting the free throws at the end, which is very clutch, I thought he really filled his role very well in the second half there. Um, and then, I mean, a lot of it was just McCollum just went off. I mean, he was getting to that, that free throw line extended jumper pretty much throughout the second half, had some really nice finishes at the rim. So a lot of that was just they kept the pace up well. They played good defense. And Collins, he played good defense and used his fouls up pretty well. And they just, McCollum just kept hitting over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, listen, the mid-range is still alive, alive and well in, in Portland. Uh, really quickly, Dagmay Demsis, thank you so much for that super chat. Uh, he, he loves our channel, and I love you too. So thank you so much for doing that for us. Uh, a big shout-out to anybody else who wants to do that. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to point out one thing. The Evan Turner, I, I kind of, before you joined uh, the chat, I, I talked about him and how impressed I was because I've been down on him for a long time. The save that he made that resulted in, a, I think, a CJ3, uh, there was a missed three, and somehow the ball was going out of bounds, and he somehow got to it and saved it back to his own teammates. That alone was, like, worth the price of admission. He was just really impressive all game, uh, played some defense, uh, and, may, you know, didn't hurt them on offense, and uh, really just, uh, you know, was deserved as much, uh, you know, the second game ball behind CJ. But I don't even know what you can say for, about CJ. He was just uh, as tough as tough can be. I did see a question about uh, Jokic and what we thought about Jokic's uh, playoffs run overall. Um, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts? This is from Fifty Cent Tribute Band. What's your thoughts on Jokic's playoff run? <laughs> I mean, he was incredible. Uh, it's there's still some things he he needs to add. I think a little bit more variability in his, in his scoring to his game to you know, truly be a dominant MVP level player. I guess more dominant than he is now. Because he's already pretty dominant, and you, you know, you, uh, I guess it was Westbrook's MCL brought up attacking Canner's shoulder, and around the four-minute mark or so of the fourth quarter, maybe a little bit later. I think it was later than that actually. Cantor uh, or uh, um, Jokic went into the post up on Cantor, kind of backing him down towards the free throw line. And I thought that he was going to really attack Cantor's shoulder and try to get through him so he can get to that little like jump hook in the lane. But instead, he settled for a fadeaway 15 footer. And all of us in the room where I was, even my mom was like, "What is it? my mom who doesn't is never really watched Jokic before?" Even was like said something about that. Like it was very apparent that he wasn't trying to take the initiative on that one. And I thought that was the kind of play where it's like you got to really try to back him down and use the clock up as much as you can in that situation uh, because the turnaround fadeaways, he can hit them. But, like, it's just a lot of guys love that they have that in their bag and they like to settle for that when it's never the optimal move. I don't think it's ever really the optimal move no matter who you are. And then, you know, kind of similar thing for when he took that three at the end there where, you know, it was uh, I think Dame had him out on yeah. an island. And yeah. he didn't really push through Dame at all. He kind of just, like, half-turned and threw it up. Or he had enough time to try to push through Dame, try to get some contact, maybe even draw a foul on the three. Uh, I was just disappointed that he didn't really use his feet uh, properly in that scenario. So those are, that's nitpicking at a pretty extreme degree. I mean, otherwise, his patience that he has is unlike anyone else in the game. And he, nobody seems to be able to stop him. I don't know if there really is anyone out there that can stop him, except for, you know, he's not – his game isn't designed to be the you know the go-to bucket getter on the final play of the game, and you know they designed that play at the end there where Jamal Murray flared to the corner where if he got smothered, which he did, he was pretty much out of the play. And 
I don't know why they designed it for him to, for it to go to him as the option there, but like obviously in that scenario, he's the guy that you should be going to. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think that we saw a little bit what you're talking about with Jokic on that well, right block, and he was backing guys down, he, and he scored. He got an and one. Another time, he, he, he forced a switch with Lillard on him down low, and they got it to him, and they had a foul again, I believe. Or maybe that was the block, and then he got the ball back and put it in. So we saw a little bit of that, but it's not like consistent enough, and that's probably because he likes to then flash out to the outside. So I don't know. I mean, I think that it was a historic run for him, and certainly at his age and his development to be able to do what he did – uh, this is all really kind of good for Denver, in theory. This is all the kind of experience you'd want to see a young team, and I think they're the youngest team, right, in the um, in the playoffs or ever? Or no, for the youngest, this year, they're the youngest team, right? Anyhow, they, I think they, they, if they're not the youngest, they're like one of the youngest. So it's really like the most the most amazing experience for them to go through this and learn. So I would anticipate that they come back and um, next year and really like, you know, have the Jedi mind trick stuff going and we'll, we'll get to the conference finals next year. So I, I would imagine that's what happens. Now, of course, we don't know what's going to happen in the offseason and whether other teams are going to make some moves, Portland being one of them, to upgrade or do something different uh, and where, what KD does and where he goes. So, um, but I, I'm, I'm very high on Denver. I think that they're in a really great position with a great coach and a great development thing and a great experience in this, in this game. Yeah, it, let me know if I'm breaking up because I'm in a bad service area. But uh, Denver, I mean, if they if they keep everything together and they could even add another player with the mid level next year, they should be they should be right where they are now and probably even better because I think it's Jokic. There's not a I mean, he can continue to obviously evolve, but he's already so great that there's not like some sort of next level for him to jump to necessarily mm-hmm. while Jamal, it feels like Jamal has an entirely, you know, has like a potentially a Dame like level that he could jump to that. I don't think he's really that close to at this point. And it's just so erratic. And it's like, I wouldn't mind if his, if he was like, had just had like what I loved about Dame in the series was he had a lot of games where he didn't perform well, including this one, but like he still took 20 shots every single game. He was still very confident, and even if the stats at the end of the game were poor, he at the very least had one quarter where he took over the game, and Jamal needs to get to that level. And that's something that you don't expect Jamal to get to for a few years because it takes a long time to get there. Right. I agree. I think that um, uh, there's no question that he has a a huge ceiling ahead of him. And, you know, all those Kentucky guys come in the league not knowing how to play, and it takes their, they have to learn it while they're in the NBA. So he's on that same trajectory. And he could actually have the better trajectory than any of those guys. Like, eventually, could he be better than Wall? Um, and who else came out of Kentucky? I mean, Bledsoe and all those guys? Yeah, I think so. Uh, sure. which, rem- yeah. which, which reminds me of um, we're going to probably see um, – uh, Boogie Cousins playing in the Western Conference Finals. Apparently, he might be ready, which sounds crazy for what the injury he had. Uh, but all those things spell, um, you know, a relatively easier series. I, I don't think the Warriors are going to be too scared. Do you think they are? No, no, definitely not. Um, it depends. If KD is ruled out, then you know, I, I don't know. I feel like oh, there he goes. Guys feel like they don't, they're not too broken hearted that Katie's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lost me. Just for a second. The, yeah. Okay. I don't think the Warriors are too devastated if KD can't play because, one, they're kind of expecting that this is how it's going to be starting next year. They want to be able to prove to themselves and everyone else that they can win without him. And him not being out there 
gives more looks and puts more responsibility and freedom on guys like Seth and Clay and Dre. So I think they're uh, I think they're relishing this opportunity probably even more than if KD was healthy. Yeah, no doubt. And by the way, I mean, the game six was beautiful basketball. They passed the ball. You know, it was figures was funny. They, they averaged like 298 passes a game for the playoffs with KD. And then the last game in game six, they made 325. I thought, okay, that's a significant number. And then someone did the math. And it was like it was, it was like a, an extra pass every three possessions or something crazy like that, which is nothing, right? But you could feel it. Yeah. You could see the energy. And the ball moved better, without question. And especially when we got those uh, those uh, Steph Curry, Draymond pick and rolls, the short roll that we hadn't seen. I mean, I can't remember the last time I'd seen uh, a right wing high pick and roll with Steph and and, um, and Draymond, and then and then Steph throwing it early as a looping pass, and Draymond just going to work and making the right decision. Uh, right? Like I can't remember the last time I had seen that before the, uh, Game Six. You're totally right. And those thirty passes, you could. I think the other way you could look at it is that that's. You know, about third, not literally 30 possessions, but that's a, a lot of possessions that are one or two pass possessions that are just ISO in which they're actually moving the ball a little bit more. So they're <laughs> taking out a lot of isolation play from their offense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, well, we had a lot of people asking a little bit about Dame, and you mentioned you talked about him in a, for a second ago about his his uh, where he stands now in the NBA. Do we think that Dame is better than Kyrie? And maybe I'll answer that while we're waiting for Jared to come back. So I don't know. I mean, it's a really interesting question because Kyrie kind of laid an egg in the last uh, series uh, and didn't play well. Now, that said, Dane didn't shoot well for a lot of these games. But when they needed him, where at, at whatever capacity they needed him, whether it was a defensive play like he made tonight and then that steal and then he got hit a three, uh, he also made some very nice passes and got some, a lot of assists tonight. So I don't know. I think that he might be like I might put Dame a little bit ahead of Kyrie. What do you think? You got me now. Yep. Okay. I, I've always thought Dame was better. Oh there's wow. There's never been a point. There's never been a point that I thought Dame wasn't better than Kyrie. Um, you know, they're both minimal impact or even negatives on defense. They're both pretty good transition players, but not like incredible transition players. Uh, but Dame's a better. Dame executes better on the perimeter, on perimeter shooting. Uh, he's not as creative and as dexterous getting to the rim, but he's a great power driver. And you know what? The Kyrie may look better getting to the rim, and I think statistically finishes maybe not more efficiently, but is able to convert more often at the rim. But they have contrasting styles. I like Dame's style a little bit better, honestly. And then the leadership thing is just so. It's I think this year kind of proved itself to be so much dramatically yeah. different. I mean. Dame is, a lot of people feel, is one of the best leaders, if not the best leader in the NBA now. And the culture tone that he creates is just so incredible. And, I mean, come on, Portland is overachieving right now. Like, Denver is a more, is a much more talented team than they are as far as, like, guys that can do stuff with the ball and all that kind of stuff. Portland overachieves because they have great top-down leadership and their roster construction is great. And Olshea deserves a lot of credit for that, that they've built a very well-balanced uh, roster. So... I mean, I, I think that's the factor that puts it over the top for me. You know, if you, you're talking about, like, who, who's going to get you 30 points in a game against the Monstars to save the Earth, you could pro- <laughs> it's really a push probably. Um, if it's who's going to get me a bucket at the end of the game, I would prefer Dame because Kyrie tends to fall in the bad habits of more difficult uh, shots. Like, he, Kyrie loves fading away to his right. It's something that he can do at a level that almost nobody else can do. Uh, but he, it's, it's again, I, I'm just, I'm always of the thought process that a fadeaway shot 
it's just taking away so much of your energy transfer that it's just so much harder. And there are better ways to get separation. I think is a much better job of using, you know, deep shots and quick, very quick release shots to get a good look at the end of the game. Sure. And the thing we talked about about Dave, and I've said this before in, the, in a couple of things, I spent a little time around him, and he he is like one of the best teammates you could ever have in the NBA. And I think part of that is if you're going to dribble the ball up and not pass the ball and jack it from 40 feet uh, a couple times a game, if you want to avoid pissing off the big guys, uh, you better be a really nice guy like everywhere else in and around the locker room. And I think that that's what he's proven. Steph is the same way. And so I think that part, that's part of the leadership. And then you throw CJ on there, who also is a really stand-up guy, another great teammate. And now you have the two leaders of the team who, are, who shoot the most, who also treat their teammates the best. And that's what allows you to play up. I mean, I think there's no question that Denver had more talent and was probably, it was obviously favored seeding-wise. And um, they didn't win. So um, now we have a thing with, you know, coming into this in the, the conference finals. Although we do have some questions. First of all, uh, Hel Zehan wants to know if you're going to show your feet while driving. <laughs> I do not recommend it. Okay, good. And I think that would I be could, the right I can show you my I can take my shoes off and show you my shoes if you want. Um, yeah, no, when you're driving, all I want you to do is, is keep your eyes on the road. Yeah, um, my eyes are locked on the road, so I'm going to keep it safe. Yeah, keep it, you know, 9 and 11 and um, 9 and 11, 10 and 2. What is it? 10, 10 and, two. and 2, yeah. Anyway, um, okay, Random Dude 501 says, Coach, speaking of KD, which team do you think he would fit with best, the Knicks, Nets, or Clippers? Kevin Durant, what do you think? Uh, Clippers, I assume. I mean, the Knicks don't really have any structure yet. They're, they would have to figure it out around them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the yeah, you know, the Nets would also be great too. But the Clippers, if you put KD on that team this year, they could they could go to the finals probably. Yeah, I just think playing. I think he should stay in the East. If you really want, like, you know, that's the whole thing. It's an easier path in the East in theory. Um, but and and the Nets, you know, they are they have some nice pieces too. Uh, the Clippers, though, it's a little bit okay. Gallinari goes away. Uh, they keep everybody else. Is that the idea? Yeah, I think that's that's it. All right, all right, all right. I can go with that. Yeah, you can you can upgrade Gallinari to KD and, and have something uh, that gets them. You know, I, I think it gets them pretty far. Uh, tight uh, Tightpo asks uh, or says Michael Porter Jr. could could be good for that next year as well. I, I think so. I mean, as far as people know, he he can shoot a little bit, and he's got a body like carved out of marble. Um, so Michael Porter Jr., yeah, would definitely be another guy who makes the Denver Nuggets even better. Although, unfortunately, he missed out on what would have been an amazing bunch of experience for him now, but they got to get him healthy, and I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, Cobra Kai kids. Yeah, I, I just want to quickly say I, I scouted MPJ when he was in high school. Yeah, he was the most talented player in that class. Okay, you, know, you think about how good those rookies are. I mean, Luca transcended to another level, but MPJ could be another Durant. Like he's that talented. He probably won't be, but like he could be a twenty-five point scorer. So you're wow. adding an elite. He 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 has a potential to be the best scorer on that team. Wow. So it's, okay. It, the, yeah, the potential that he has is incredible if he can get healthy. I mean, he's a six eleven, you know, shooting guard basically. It's, it's unbelievable what he can do. Okay, I haven't even seen enough of him, so I'll have to get my eyes on it and stuff. So I'll trust you, uh, Cobra he's Kai. Been very Durant like. Okay, good to know. Uh, Cobra Kai kid says even without KD, the Warriors can walk through the Blazers. I, I think without KD, 
I, I don't know. Now, that said, if Bookie comes back, it changes some things a little bit. Um, but um, I, I don't – I mean, maybe – they win. I think they're certainly favored. It's reasonable to assume they're going to win. But I do think that there's some pause there as far as whether – how easy it's going to be, um, you know, without KD. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, but I think the big difference is Denver's offense and State's offense is on a different level. So Portland's got a – you need CJ and Dame kind of doing. You need them both clicking each night. It can't be you know, these guys trading off quarters. They need to both be on top of their game. But if they are, then yeah, they can make the series go six, maybe seven. Sure. Uh, I wouldn't rule anything out with Portland. They're in a they're an incredible overachieving team, and they they got everything going for them. There's really there's no weak point for them besides just sometimes they're not shooting very well. Sure. Well, we got a few more minutes until the next game seven starts. So while we keep everybody entertained for a little bit. Uh, there is a question that I saw here, and now I just dropped what it was. Um, damn, what do I want to talk about? Well, do you have any uh, a reaction to um, the new hire in L.A.? Oh, it's a Vogel. Um, it's interesting. Well, for one, I mean, the, if you've seen my Twitter in the last 24 hours, it's been mostly memes about Jason Kidd getting ready to stab Vogel in the back. So, um, you know, there's not much to be said there that everyone else in the world hasn't already said. You know, Kidd is nobody in the world trusts him. Um, they're setting they're setting Vogel up to fail by forcing Kid onto him. Anything to like have an assistant coach picked out before a head coach, but for it to be Kid of all people, it's just like it's so it's the Lakers ownership is I think probably the worst ownership in the NBA now. Well uh, you, got, you got Phoenix. I think I think it's worse than Phoenix. Um, you know Phoenix is impatient. Sarver is very impatient, but he's willing to – he's not – I mean, besides apparently him forcing them to draft Aiden over Doncic, which I think was a big mistake, but obviously Aiden looks like he's going to turn into a really good player anyway, whatever. But, like, he at least has been willing to be flexible and think outside the box on his hires. Like, James Jones was a very surprising GM hire, and he, it wasn't like he got picked for his ties to the Phoenix area. Kakashkov obviously was a very unique hire. It made it all the more shocking that they took uh, they didn't take Luca, who was his guy. But so, the Lakers keep they keep bringing in these Laker affiliated people. They're so obsessed with these Lakers affiliated people, and it like the just the Rambus situation is so insane. I don't understand it. And, you know, maybe Rambus is doing a good job in this role, but the optics of it are so horrible that the fact that they're letting this become the storyline is just unbelievable. Yeah, I I agree. And also I think what we're forgetting is, um, first of all, like the Tyron Lue thing, I thought Tyron Lue, I know that the, the, the reason they said he walked away was because of the number of years in the contract, but I can't, I refuse to believe that he, that wasn't a factor, that having to have Jason Kidd as an assistant wasn't a, a factor, and he just didn't want to maybe insult Jason Kidd and kind of didn't want to get in that, in that whole mess. Because he got the job, when we talked about this before, in the same way, where they hired him as the assistant, they shoved him onto Blattstaff, and then he took over. Now, we also are forgetting, or I may not forget it, but remember what happened in Milwaukee when Jason Kidd was the Nets coach, and he somehow engineered a transition to Milwaukee, and basically like stealing another coach's job before he even you know, didn't have it anymore in Larry Drew. Um, so there, there's all sorts of stuff, and I was, I'm, I'm, you know, I was musing earlier on, on, on G Chat about that, where like it just feels like, yes, Jason Kidd will have that head coaching job at some point, and it's just a question of when. Um, I just don't know if, yeah, if Frank Vogel is going to have enough uh, pull and um, or whatever that word is he needs to back that guy well, down, keep him in his spot, and then keep his job. 
I think autonomy is probably it, or authority. Yeah, um, grab it to that. Because oh, and wait, 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 hang on for one second. Uh, Ciara sure. Dean just uh, did a super chat, and I just want to throw this out there before it gets too late. Warriors get back KD, Boogie, and Damian Jones in the Western Conference Finals. Now, Damian Jones is interesting because he hasn't played forever. Um, but thank you so much, Ciara, for that, and uh, awesome, you know, to join us with the uh, little super chat. So thank you. Now, do you want to just quickly get back to what you're saying about uh, Kid and? Yeah, and, uh, and uh, Katie and Boogie are back, then it's a, it's a wash for anyone trying to get in Golden State's way. So, yeah. make that clear. Uh, and it was Damian Lee, right? Isn't Damian Jones the center they had a couple years ago? Or am I mixing that up? No, but, I think it's Damian, Damian Jones. I mean, that's, okay. that's how long ago he, it's been that he played. But I'm, yeah, I'll maybe. <laughs> start speaking and I'll tell you in one second. But yeah, yeah. Damian. So, as far as Vogel, I, you know, I get why. Yeah, they would Damian want Jones. Not really. All right, my bad. Um, but so, I. Um, I think Vogel could work with LeBron. I don't think there's necessarily, uh, it's, I don't think it's necessarily a bad fit. It's probably not as optimal as Lou because we know that LeBron and Lou work together. And it's something, some feedback that I had gotten, and I think we talked about this on the last uh, live show, was someone asked about what hedging was, and I brought up Kevin Love hedging with Cleveland in the finals as an example. And something that I had been told was that. That was, uh, apparently that was Mike Longabardi, the defensive coordinator they hired. That was mostly his decision in that people in Cleveland felt that Ty Lue, to be successful defensively, because they were so terrible defensively, needed to really tell Longabardi that we're going to run my system instead of your system defensively. And that a lot of people were kind of frustrated that he wasn't doing that as LeBron, uh, you know, LeBron's tenure was coming to a close there. And so I think Lou, um, having real autonomy over the defensive system will be important. But the thing is, Jason Kidd ran the same system basically in Milwaukee. They were a high blitzing defense that everybody around the NBA was so frustrated with because they were being over aggressive and screwing. It wasn't fitting their defensive talent. And then Mike Budenholzer came in and ran the drop scheme where they had, you know, the big man dropping deep on the pick and roll so they could absorb the ball handler. And they had the number one defense in the NBA this year because of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's no question that. And, and by the way, the Jason Kidd style is like what he played for and in. Like that's 90s. Yeah. It's it's also Miami Heat 2010. But I thought by 2014, the the, the the Spurs you know gave us a blueprint on how you're supposed to attack that. And I don't think I've seen any kind of really ultra aggressive pick and roll uh, defense like that be successful in any you know consistent way. So um, it's it's just a kind of thing where you have to be able to be adaptable and understand what is you know, the current state of the league. I mean, you know, Jason Kidd's offense wasn't that exciting either. Uh, now, Frank Vogel's offense wasn't that great either. That was a bit mired back in the 90s, too. So we'll have to see if his sabbatical has, you know, yielded some other interesting stuff. So it's 4.04. It's tip-off is probably like in two minutes. So we want to make sure everyone has a chance to do that. But uh, listen, Jared, this has worked pretty well. I, we got you snuck in there after the quick opening. Uh, let me know what you guys thought about the opening of the one man. That was interesting, too, uh, to, to handle everybody. Uh, but again, thank you. Thank you for driving with us today, Jared. I hope that uh, your rest of your drive will go well. Uh, well, I just hit bumper-to-bumper traffic, and a cop just went by me, so it looks like I'm going to be stuck here for a while. Uh-oh. So well, the beauty of driving in Massachusetts. Uh, well, you know, stay safe on the roads, and hopefully you'll get back for the second half of the game, I guess. Hey, if we could keep live showing, that would be great. That will make this go by way faster. Yeah, well, hey, listen, i got to watch the damn game, so I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> And listen, we've already been done this for 38 minutes, so we're going to wrap it up. But anyway, thank you, Jared, for coming on. Thank everybody out there for um, joining us today, and we'll do another one, you know, this week, I'm sure. 
after one of the conference finals games, right, Jared? Yeah, I'm just going to start live streaming me driving in traffic from now on, actually. Okay, we'll see how that goes. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. And don't forget it, B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in traffic now, and it's hailing. What the hell's going on out here?